Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. The biggest thing that I see um, at, around the world is uh, that separates what I would say the, the, the best producers in terms of achieving high productivity and, and the, those that are not is really around applying what we know from a science background and, and basics. Welcome to Swine Podcast. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Gestol. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestol manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system. Designed by pork producers, for pork producers, they are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24-7, 365. Gestal is not just an equipment manufacturing company, but a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of swine production and nutrition. And uh, to talk about that, uh, nothing better than having Dr. Mike Tokash with us and... Uh, he has been great, uh, has uh, influenced a lot the evolution of swine production and nutrition in the last several decades. So, first of all, Dr. Tokash, thanks for your time and for being here today. Thank you, Marcio. So, uh, Dr. Tokash, if you could start uh, just telling us a little bit of your background. Uh, a lot of people know you around the world, uh, but it's always good to, to learn from the source. Sure. Uh, I grew up on a on diversified livestock and grain operation, actually, in North Dakota. And we had a, a fairly large uh, beef cattle operation with registered Angus cattle. And my brother still run the ranch back there today. Nice. Um, but uh, I was one of the only ones that was really interested in the pig side. And mm-hmm. we had about 150 sow farrow to finish operation, which was a decent sized farm at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and um, and so when I was looking at universities, I, I went in the pig area and, and and got my master's at Kansas State University and PhD at University of Minnesota. And I've been back here at Kansas State University now for a little over 25 years. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes, yeah, a long time and a lot of, uh, a lot of studies that, uh, over that time. Uh, do, do you have an idea of how many studies you've done over those? Oh no, I, I've I, I don't. We we've um, we did a, a, a look at it a few years ago on how many field trials we had done, and it was it, it was several hundred. So I, oh, wow. I don't know exactly where we're at today. I bet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, very good, uh, Mike. So, what do you see as current trends and hot topics in in this global swine industry today? Well, certainly, the probably one of the the ones that's in the front of everybody's mind today is African swine fever and 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 how it's moving around the globe, and and that obviously is is 
is a major driver of, of a major thing on everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, though, uh, I, the areas that I, I certainly uh, get asked a lot about and I see production systems making a lot of changes is one is really around the antibiotic use and whether it's legal, um, regulatory you know, changes that are driving it in some parts of the world or whether it's uh, consumer demands uh, driving the, the antibiotic-free production in other parts of the world, uh, that is definitely one of the things that's impacting um, production and how we feed pigs. The, the other area that, that as a nutritionist that is probably a growing concern that I see is mycotoxin levels and, mm-hmm. and you know we certainly have, have always dealt with some mycotoxins in the United States but it's been a growing problem for us uh, particularly in the last 10 years as we've changed our agronomic trends. Hmm. Interesting. Um, hmm, that is interesting on the mycotoxin. Um, and you were talking about antibiotics, Mike, and I was thinking at a couple of years ago, um, you're talking about uh, zinc oxide and, and mm-hmm. the ban of that, you know, in some countries. And any, yes. any, any information regarding that lately? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we know that with the changes coming down in Europe where they're going to have to uh, remove zinc oxide from all diets in a relatively short um, uh, manner here, they, it's it definitely on the front of all their producers' minds. They, they have, uh, they've made some great strides in the area, but they still have, have some work to go. And I, I think what, what the, uh, our research in that area has, is telling us is that there's not going to be one strategy that's going to be very, very easy to replace place zinc oxide in these early nursery diets. Right. I think it's going to take several different uh, diet formulation changes uh, in order to to have comparable performance. I, right now, I think that we're getting pretty good at being able to minimize the diarrhea issues, which is one thing that zinc oxide really helped mm-hmm. cover up um, uh, pretty well. Uh, so we're able to feed pigs and 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 have and control the the diarrhea. I think without the zinc oxide, even but that's still a challenge in some situations. Um, but where we we still struggle is to get the performance back to the the full benefits of what the zinc oxide has provided us as a growth promotant in the first you know 15 to 20 days after weaning. Right. That makes sense. And maybe changing management weaning wage or whatever we'll have to do. Weaning age is going to be a big part of the answer. There's no question. Great. Um, now, if we step back a little bit, Mike, and start thinking about uh, the biggest breakthroughs um, over the last several decades, uh, a lot of times people talk about radical innovation, um, so things that really, really changed our industry. Uh, what would be those things from a nutrition standpoint and maybe generally that you could comment on? Uh, I'll probably start with some of the general ones, and and uh, and as I look over my career, uh, there's there's several across many different areas of major uh, pork productions in the systems, and probably the big biggest one that comes to my mind first is the the whole area of design of a production system around the the health side, and and what I mean there is is when I got into the industry, we were still dealing with continuous flow production and farrow to finish operations where the the predominant, almost the only way that pigs were being raised. And now we obviously see all in all out multiple site production and, and it really was designed around controlling viral disease. And that 
led to many other changes and and able to apply technologies and major breakthroughs because of these changes in in the production systems. So as an example, that that also led to the move from many small farms to large integrated systems and coordinated specialized production. The the other thing that it allowed is is the genetic selection to really be taken full advantage of. You know, we had um, when I was growing up, we did uh, a lot of visual selection and single trait selection that mm-hmm. was occurring. That obviously has been replaced with uh, with BLUP uh, and with uh, marker assisted selection, and and it just amazes me at how fast we're able to make genetic progress today. And some of those things, you know, over over my lifetime, have you know, some of those have looked like like they've been gradual changes, uh, but in, in reality, those took some fairly large leaps to be mm. able to, to to get to where we are today. And and another one of those that you could argue was a was a huge leap for us was artificial insemination. Mm. When when that that came in in the early 90s, it it um, started out as as more of an experimental, you know, being done at u- universities, but it took over the industry very very quickly wow. and. And now, as I see how that the new technologies, even in that area, uh, with the PCAI and how that's influencing the genetic movement, and and uh, it's another area that that I think outside of my world of nutrition, Mm -hmm. we've had major, major changes. Makes sense. Makes sense. In the nutrition nutrition side, um, probably a, a, a couple of the 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 ones that I would would point out is just it really kind of again goes down to precision of of feeding and 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 when when we started out, so I, I we were formulating on crude protein levels and mm-hmm. we had relatively simple diets and and as we've been able to um, to measure uh, both the requirements of the pigs more closely and be able to determine the nutrient levels and ingredients. Um, more closely, we've been able to become much more precise. And and so, as an example, with uh, we went from crude protein to total amino acids to apparent digestible amino acids to uh, standardized allele digestible amino acids, and went from formulating to lysine and and maybe adding some synthetic lysine to the diet to now we're adding five synthetic amino acids yeah. to the diet. And and so there we're able to get much more pre- precise and. And with that, as I mentioned, we need to know the amino acid requirements of the pigs. That has moved from from more of a of a, a patchwork and a guesswork, uh, mm-hmm. and and maybe some sophisticated models that were difficult to apply on the farm, to uh, a lot of production systems having their own research facilities right. to be able to know, understand their nutrient requirements in their own scenario with their ingredients under their conditions, and so that's that's led us to some uh, a, a big moves in terms of. Um, growth performance of the pig, but also reductions in feed costs that come with it. Yes. Well, that's that's a lot of uh, advancement. And uh, it would be interesting to for someone, one of the new grad students, uh, go back and, and formulate a diet as you'd formulate 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, just to see the cost savings there. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, North Carolina State did a study. Uh, uh, now it's been uh, almost 15 years ago that where they compared, uh, you know, the, uh, if I remember right, it was around 1990 genetics and feeding program versus about 2005 genetics and feeding program, mm -hmm. and and what they they showed the the big improvements that we made in lean gain efficiency, and they looked at several different traits, but they they uh, their summary as as again this is my as I remember it was about half of the uh, improvements were through genetic improvements and about half of the improvements in, in lean efficiency mm -hmm. were through uh, changes in formulation that had occurred. Oh, wow. Wow. Huh. So half and half between genetic and nutrition? And nutrition, and, and that was a, a relatively you know straightforward study looking at those two major um, drivers and and holding other things constant. Um, it was it was kind of it was an uh, a very interesting study that that uh, that you think uh, tried to get at that that question like right. you said is as how figuring out exactly how much change we've really accomplished. Makes sense. And and that was a pig or a poultry study? It was in a pigs. Okay, yes. because I th yeah. I think I've seen the poultry one, you know, 1957. They did a similar approach. I need to check out the, the pig one. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, Mike, as, as you travel around the globe, uh, what do you think is the lowest hanging fruit today for majority of pork producers? And, and if you need to split by region in general, that, that would be great as well. Well, I, I think the, the the biggest thing that I see um, at, around the world is uh, that separates what I would say the, the the best producers in terms of achieving high productivity, and and the those that are not, is really around applying what we know from a science background and, and basics. We know an awful lot about the science about, as we talked about, how to feed the pigs. We know an awful lot about the genetic selection. We know a lot about facilities, a lot about uh, biosecurity. Those that, that are, are doing an excellent job or have great performance uh, believe the science, they apply the science, and, and yes. they, they, um, they have ways of tracking and testing, make sure that they're, they're implementing things correctly. Those that I see that are, are sometimes Sometimes struggling or are lagging behind. In many cases, uh, they, for whatever reason, they choose to ignore some of the the mm -hmm. known information. Mm -hmm. uh, they either through their own biases, through their uh, production experiences, that that they they don't think that this science works for them. You know, or you know that mm -hmm. it, it's it's interesting to me. But that but that, that's really some of the areas that I see that uh, that separate people. I, I mean, a good example is is we know that that with most of our genetic lines now uh, we really need to full feed them in the farrowing house to mm -hmm. to achieve high productivity and, and high subsequent reproductive performance but you still find people that want to be very careful around the stepping sows up on feed intake and relactation because they're worried about about problems that the sows are going to have or they're mm -hmm. worried about constipation and they you know they're, there's things that they worry about that that are our uh, best production systems really have moved past yeah well yes that makes Makes a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned. Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, and you, you think about individual areas. Um, I don't know if it's low-hanging fruit, but in the U.S., I, I think one of our major areas that that I think we all realize, looking at records, is that mortality is mm -hmm. is a is an issue for us, and 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 that's that's an area that I, I think we need to. Um, 
again, we need to know, apply what we know about it. There's some major efforts, and uh, Pork Board obviously has put some major effort towards uh, the whole mortality area. And, um, you know, again, getting back to some of the basics that we we doing what we can to eliminate as many diseases as possible because we know that the cost of living with them is too high. You know, doing the things that we can to minimize the uh, mortality in the Farrowin House. Um, and those areas in the U.S. I think are are some of our major drivers. I get into Europe. I, I'm, I'm amazed that I think they have some very very good sow productivity people and do and have some excellent performance on the sow side. But probably the area that they lag behind us is on grow finish nutrition and cost. They they for whatever reason they don't put as much. I don't know if they don't put as much effort or they don't put as much uh, uh, resources towards the grow finish side as the south side. Um, but they definitely could learn from the United States both on on the feed cost, but also on uh, on the processing side with the the size of our packing plants and the efficiency and the low cost of our of our processing systems. Makes sense. And and I think some of the some of the European countries they would be uh, exporting right the, the wind pig I guess and yes. maybe that's part of the the equation there too. No question, you're exactly right. Is is you, you you emphasize and you put your efforts on what you your is your your profit drivers. There's no question. Right. Very good. Uh, and you mentioned about uh, production experiences, which. I was thinking uh, the other day I was, I was reading a book and was talking about the patterns of the human mind. We, we, we are, our brain is made to look for patterns. So sometimes in production, it happened once, it happened twice, and you connect, oh, that's why. Well, a lot of times, it's not really why, it's just coincidence, right? Yes. And the blend between using science, use the experience, it's a fine line. So, like you said, some maybe some producers are too on the heavy on the experience side, but Uh, but not to have a science uh, or, or the other way around. Yeah, you, that's a good point. And, and the, you know, the experience, I don't want to play down the experience because obviously it's quite important. And, right. and so most of the, the best things that I've ever learned, I've learned from producers. And, right. and most of the breakthroughs that we've ever made in the swine industry have come from an ingenious or an in, uh, intuitive producer that's tried to solve their problems. Right. And, and so, <laughs> so we can learn an awful lot by trying something new and testing something different on the production side. But we always got to follow it up with making sure, like you said that what we think is happening is really science can prove that that is the real reason that it happened that it wasn't just by chance right i think one good example is uh the whole bump feeding discussion right oh my gosh every time we try to prove that with you know with uh, <laughs> Well, that's a good example, as and you did a great job with some of the research there, showing that that you can influence the the birth weight. It's just not very much. Right. <laughs> you know, you you do a lot of effort on bump feeding, and it makes a very small change in birth weight. But at the same time, it may make uh, it has a negative con uh, influence if it makes the sow fatter and it makes right. her have more difficulty in farrowing, or reduces her milk production or feed right. intake and lactation. So you have to do the science, just like you did, to prove what what is the real answer. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, as we move forward here, uh, Mike, what um, what would be a big challenge from the industry today that you believe we will only fix if we try to think outside the box, if we stop thinking, you know, what, what is something that we either we got used to that is a big problem, but we kind of are used to, or, uh, and, and what do you think we should be doing to be able to... to to think outside of the box or, or make that leap. Yeah. 
Well, I talked about the, you know, our move to multi-site production was done um, because we wanted to eliminate bacterial diseases, and that was that was really why that came into play. As we had a lot of big bad bacterial diseases that were causing us major problems in and slowing down performance and hurting feed efficiency and causing mortality in, in the production systems. And so we moved to multi-site production and it did a great job for us in controlling those bacterial diseases. The trouble is is that the viruses figured out a way to to live and, and prosper in that environment. And and we've came have some viruses now that that we really struggle with in some of our systems when that when we break these high health systems with those viral diseases. And so for me is is we need to figure out how to reduce the introduction of some of these outside diseases mm -hmm. and 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 you can talk about uh, PERS obviously um, or or the um, you know when PED came in you know and and the foreign animal diseases that we're trying to keep out today um, and, or, or even the bacterial disease like mycoplasma that we know what the value is to remove that from a production system right. and and it's a it's uh, it's very, very uh, good production when we have eliminated it, um, but it's really ugly when we break a negative system with, with mycoplasma. And so, so figure. I don't know what that change is going to be, but we need to figure out a new, new way of dealing with these um, these nasty diseases because the cost of the breaks are uh, still are too high. And even with the the uh, filtered systems with uh, the you know all the moves that we've made with uh, with our health status we still break too many of the systems today right so that that for me is one of the biggest areas yes that that's a big cost uh, I, f I think I was, uh, a few months ago I was going back and it's anywhere from five dollars to seven dollars uh, per pig on depending on the disease yep yeah, and and certainly the you know PERS has its cost and mycoplasma has its cost and you put two to, the two together and it seems like it's more than double that cost. It's right. it's more of a multiplication effect and and right. and and that that's. Uh, you know all the things we talk about in nutrition, and and as a nutritionist, you know I think we've made a lot of advances, um, but I, I I'm also very realistic that that when we get into production system, if the health is broken, it's <laughs> really difficult for us to to, to make yeah. a yes to fix it on the nutrition side. There's no question. Right, that makes sense. Um, what what do you think are are innovative areas, uh, Mike, that are being worked right now? Um, in our near near implementation, so you are always working different grants, you know, different research there, Mike. What's what's right there and coming coming out? Well, probably the the one of the nearest term ones I th I see that is already some people are applying and and uh, that I think is 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 really starting to move across our industry is the the feed safety side and and we know that we've we now have a realization that it is a real concern PED taught us that that diseases move into our production systems um, uh, obviously feed isn't the primary way that it gets in but it is one of the ways that diseases can can move into the production system whether that be through the feed truck through the employee that's that's driving the truck through the feed itself um, we and so we're seeing a lot of work done, a lot of innovation coming on ways to 
to sanitize the feed to uh, prevent uh, that being a, um, a method of introduction. And and we still have a long ways to go there, mm. uh, but I see movement across our industry that is is taking us what I think is down the right path um, to to solving some of that issue as and 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 at least reducing it as one of our uh, areas of concern. And so that would be a, a big one. Um, Technologies. I don't know whether these are in the the uh, you know short term or long term, but some of the the robotics and mm-hmm. and I know you had had a good discussion on on one of your podcasts uh, mm-hmm. about the whole um, Internet of Pigs area and and mm-hmm. Internet of Things and 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 I think that that's a there's so much at work going on in that area and 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 that uh we're gonna we're bound to make some breakthroughs that are really going to help us on the people side uh on on being able to reduce both reduce labor and, and hopefully attract um high high quality and high level labor into our production systems um by involving people from the outside that that have uh to to solve some of these problems, um, we're working on a on a, a relatively small project, um, but with with AWS with Amazon Web Services, and and when I get on the calls with with those guys, it's it's just it, it always hits me is just how different their minds think, mm-hmm. how how uh, how different their lingo is, how yeah. how they approach problems, and. And uh, we think we move at a fairly fast speed sometimes in our world. They move at a very fast speed in terms of how fast they expect results or they move on. And, yeah. and so, yeah. so we, we need to, uh, to, to be ready to engage them, uh, but also be ready to have the information to keep their attention once we have them engaged in animal agriculture. Huh. Yeah, that's very insightful for sure. Yeah, it's probably a different speed, right? Uh, if you're writing a code, it doesn't work. You know right away. Instead yes, of waiting exactly. six months. Yeah. Huh. Very nice. Um, I touched a little bit on the robotics, Mike, but is uh, any other area that you believe it's in early stage and might might be more of a couple decades out or a decade a decade out? Well, I, I, the other area that I'm not sure whether, you know, besides the technology, and I think there's, we could talk about that a whole lot because there's so many different things going on there. But I think outside of that, um, and, and, and this maybe does tie to it too, is um, there's some innovative work being done on, on barn designs. And again, we've seen some, um, some moves there in terms of, uh, of moving away from our traditional curtain-sided barns to to tunnel-ventilated barns, even in in areas of the of the world that I never thought you would worry about heat. Uh, mm. That that um, they're they're putting in the the uh, you know doing tunnel-ventilated barns, both for for the climate control for the pigs, but also obviously for the workers and for the comfort of, of people in the barns. Mm. Um, but but I I think that the the whole area of dealing with reducing heat stress and heat abatement um, for uh, our production systems, whether that be moving it into gestating sows or moving it into grow finish barns, is a, is an area that that when I was um, was going through school a few years back, I never would have dreamed that we would be thinking about about cooling finishing pigs the way that we're thinking about it today, or right. or even gestating sows. We just assume we might need to take care of the farrowing house, mm-hmm. but we never thought about it for gestating sows, and now that's becoming somewhat of a standard procedure on some operations and and it's and and I think um, I don't know if, if 
it, the you know the innovation of of building design we've we've really not made any major major changes in building design um, in the finishing side in 25 years we've had some some stair steps on it but it's been 25 years probably since we've had a major introduction of new uh, facility design uh, and the south side and farrowing houses it's been 50 years you know since we've you know made any major shift uh, most of them have been relatively minor changes and um, as we've increased um, size and so there's there's some things there that that probably will happen over the certainly over the next 10 to 15 years but uh, i'm not sure exactly what direction they'll take right that makes sense um and, and you were talking there, Mike, and, and made me think of, um, is there any, uh, uh, how to say, like a challenge in the U.S. for startups or for student ideas or things like that? And I'm not aware if there is or not. No, I, I don't. I'm not aware of, of, of that. Um you know, we've talked about that a little bit I'm on some of the National Pork Board Animal Science uh, Committee as an advisor, and they came out with a technology call uh, that that came out of of um, some of the the discussion that production nutritionists around the table were really having about the need to to engage uh, you know, young people and engage technology companies, and and they left it fairly wide open and got a re some really interesting you know uh, runs at that in terms of different ideas on technology, and and I think that that's gonna um, that's that kind of area is going to continue to grow, um, and and I, I think you're right though is that, that we need to have have some of this um, the, these. You know, taking long shot, you know, efforts that we and and kind of the way they approached that was they know that that they're not going to hit on every project that that gets funded through that kind of a call. Right. Um, but if you end up with one or two of those that makes a major impact on the industry, it'll it will be well worth the investment of of funding eight to ten of them. Makes as sense. Example. No, yeah. that makes sense. Yes, if we are, yeah, if we're not failing, we are not innovating enough, right? That's exactly right. Very nice, Mike. Uh, any closing thoughts as far as this, this whole area of past, present, future of uh, production nutrition before we go to our three questions we, we ask well, every guest? Well, as, as somebody that works at the university, I think I'd probably be remiss not to talk a little bit about kind of the changing um, uh, uh, of, of how I see um, research being funded in the United States and and right. the the funding going towards that we've definitely seen a move towards privatization of, of research on the the swine side and all of animal agriculture and all of agriculture in general and I, I've watched in my career when I was uh, coming through school um, the the UK was really kind of the one of the leaders in the swine nutrition world and 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 in swine production and mm -hmm. I think a lot of people today that that aren't aware of that would think well how were they the leaders and uh, right. you know they don't have very many pigs in 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 England anymore right. well what happened was is they their country really kind of divested of funding you know production research and and research in general and and I I see how because China has surpassed us in agricultural spending for mm -hmm. research and and uh, in the last couple of years and and we're in danger of ceding our leadership uh, in the United States if we don't uh, yeah keep up some of that effort and and I obviously worry about who's going to train the next generations if we don't have uh, people at you know uh, uh, training the the uh, the the new um, uh, 
people coming through and, and showing them how to do the research in these production systems that we have going today. And and, and probably the, the piece that ties to that is I want to make sure that people need to understand that they've got to look at other countries and look at research being done around the world because there's a lot of very high quality work being done in Brazil, being done in China, being done in Europe that that, that we can learn from and we can bring back and apply on our, on our operations in the United States. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense, Mike. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you you mentioned that. Um, as we move to 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 the end here, Mike. Um, so the three questions we ask every guest every episode. The first one is, uh, what's your favorite swine-related book? Well, uh, you probably know the answer to this one, Marcio. For me, the, uh, probably the book. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the book. The book that I probably use more than anything, and I, I know that the NRC gets beat up quite a bit you know, at times because of it. You know, it gets it gets put together, and 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 it becomes kind of that that um, dartboard on the wall that uh-huh, everybody yeah. can throw things at. Um, but but it, it really is a good resource, and and it it provides a placeholder that we compare everything to, and and so the the nutrient requirements of Swine, the, the NRC, is, and the 2012, of course, being our last um, issue or version of it, that that's the one that I certainly um, probably use as much as any book in the swine world. Um, there's some other ones I really like, but that one's certainly the one most used. Right, that's a, that's, that's a great answer. Um, is there any indications of, of the next one at all or not? Not anything that I'm aware of, real, real, um, you know, soon. I mean, they, it was 14 years between the the 98 and the uh, and the 2012, and I'm afraid it's probably going to be something like that before the the next one gets done too. Okay, okay. Um, as how about a uh, a book that's not related to to swine, Mike? Yeah, prob- one that I I, um, I enjoyed uh, was and taught me a lot about teams was uh, was five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that book I, I really enjoyed. Uh, that and and it, so it, it's it's really an easy read. It's written as a as a story, as a fable kind of, kind of uh, put together mm-hmm. um, by Patrick Lencioni. Um, that's a it's a very nice book. Interesting. I'll add that one to my list as well. Yeah, uh, list of books is crazy, right? It, it, you can you, you cannot read fast enough to you, you add more you add faster than you read. So it's that's exactly right. Um, very nice. And the last question, Mike, what do you think uh, sets apart successful swine professionals? Okay, well, I, I have a, a list of traits that I kind of think about, and I, I think about these whenever we are looking for for graduate students that that have interest in in this in the swine world, and when we're interviewing graduate students, uh, they they have to be a team player. Uh, they, they any production system, any business that you operate in, and certainly our group here at K State, you've got to be able to work with others to be able to to survive. Um, work ethic, of course, is a is is a must. Uh, being responsive, uh, being adaptive, being inquisitive and wanting to know why uh, is is a very important piece to me. And um, and you can't do uh, do any of these without having a passion for the area that you're working in. And, and so those would be the things that I really look for. I love that. Yes. Very, uh, very to the point there. I like it. Very good, Mike. Um, well, Really appreciate your time. Uh, I know it's very valuable. And uh, yeah, thanks so much to sharing your thoughts with us and, and the audience. Uh, anytime, Marcio. Thank you very much for having me.